At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lumbach here, the world messenger, and I have a very special guest here today, back in my own backyard here in Denver, Colorado, joining me on today's show um, on the legacy leaders, right? Uh, we cannot wait to depict some of the amazing accomplishments, but also such a timely relevant information that you guys absolutely cannot afford to miss. He's CEO of Influence Board, chairman of CXO, founder of the HR 100 and the CFO 100. He's also uh, absolute executive um, that I had a chance to see his trajectory here in the state of Colorado and beyond in last decade. And it's amazing to see what's possible. And also guys wanted to share with you, he's someone that I have tremendous respect and you will see why but he is also super cool and awesome. He's not just those innovative techies. He likes to collect exotic reptiles, believe it or not. And he also likes to collect military vehicles. I'm really intrigued about that. So without further ado, please allow me to introduce you to Jay Allen. Jay, how are you? Doing great. Thanks, Isabella, for allowing me on the show today. Absolutely. I know you're extremely busy and your time is very valuable. So I want to make sure that audience get the most in this power hour with you. So again, I'm honored to have you. And before we dive into and unpack so many amazing things you are doing that are propelling and moving things forward in this very challenging time for so many, I just want to ask you, Jay, do you mind sharing just a bit where you originally from, where you were raised, and how did you stumble upon passion for technology and innovation? Yeah, I, I grew up in Colorado um, at the wow. age of uh, at the age of 19. I went on a mission for my church uh, to Monterey, Mexico for two years. So uh, learned to speak Spanish, fell in love with the, the Latin American culture, uh, returned back to uh, the States and got a degree in international marketing, uh, hoping I also learned French when I came back. So I was hoping to do uh, something international with my uh, marketing degree. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just a Colorado boy. We, I moved around a little bit uh, after graduation, but we moved back here to raise our five kids. Uh, we've been back for about 30 years. Wow, congratulations. And I honestly didn't know that you're Colorado native. That's even, I mean, that's amazing. That's even better to have sense of like why we're so passionate about making the Colorado great state and everything you've been doing in the last 30 some years here. So, um, guys, this is a living example that you can learn the other languages. <laughs> and uh, obviously, those languages come handy, don't they? Yes, I, uh, I, you know, I've used Spanish more than anything else. Uh, just even in the grocery store, helping somebody uh, that doesn't speak good English. I, I, I'm glad I learned Spanish. I haven't used French as uh, nearly as much. Okay. 
That's fantastic. But now with, with back, being back to uh, Colorado and raising your family, you also start really working on some amazing projects. I feel like you are a phenomenal mind who to identify problem and then finds a great solution. So one of the things that I am uh, looking at here is um, obviously your chairman of CXO and something that I found to be tremendously valuable. So do you mind sharing for our audience that is not familiar, what did you create there and how did you unpack the need and how this became so impactful beyond Colorado? Yeah, it started, I was working for a corporate venture organization. And so I needed to develop relationships with C-level executives of billion dollar companies that would ultimately be our clients. And had lunch with a few high level executives that I knew in town and just looking for their advice and asked them, hey, where do you go to grow your network of other C-level executives? And I was kind of surprised when they all kind of chuckled and said, we don't. You know, uh, you know it's, there was a, a sense of frustration among them that um, uh, when they went to a networking event they got invited to, you know, 80% of the people in the room wanted to hand them a resume or sell them something. And it made extracting value from that interaction difficult. And so they would try to sit on boards and, and things of that nature, but that really wasn't solving their problem either. Um, one, of the, one of the executives at that lunch 20 some odd years ago said something so profound that I never forgot it. And it was the kernel that really drove the formation of, of CXO. He said, uh, I really have two problems, Jay. Problem one is if I made a list of the 50 people I really needed to know in town and then went to networking events that I get invited to, I'd never meet those 50 people. Mm. And problem number two is I don't know who should be on the list of the 50 people I really need to know in town. <laughs> Wow, so. that is powerful. And, and guys, Denver is not that big, but yet it is getting bigger and grew since then uh, and got more mighty, right? But imagine having that difficult and challenge 20 some years ago. And what happened? Yeah, I, you know, I said, well, I bet we can each come up with 10 people we'd like to know in town. So we, uh, we made a short list right there around lunch of, uh, you know, some people we would like to develop relationships with. And I, I reached out to every one of the people on that list and said, hey, there's these executives that want to grow their network of other influential people in town. They're hoping uh, you could, you know, join them for lunch someday. Uh, no vendors, no speakers, nobody's going to sponsor the meal. Uh, everyone's just going to pay their own lunch. They just want to break bread, get to know each other, find ways to help each other. And what I discovered in those phone calls was virtually every executive responded with the answer, this is a great idea. I have the same problem. So who's coming and no vendors and I'm paying for my own lunch? Count me in. And they all showed up. And, uh, and that was the beginning of, of CXO. Wow, that is brilliant. 
I mean, networking so much change. And I have to say, you know, I used to get these trainings and people telling me how to network, what to do. And so many things were so horribly going wrong and wrong advice. So I was like, oh my God, you need to, you need to create a book or booklet of how to network. And, 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 and what is important because honestly, people are mistaking what networking is all about, specifically right now as we're doing things virtually. So if you don't mind, just expand a little bit more on that story and fast forwards to current events. Yeah, um, it was never my intent when this all started to create a networking organization. What happened was really organic. Uh, within six months or so, I had a, there was a, a hundred executives asking me when the next lunch was. Um, and, uh, and I was trying to manage this on an Excel spreadsheet in my spare time and, and realized we had created a monster. So uh, we hired some administrative support. We set up a website. Um, we did not have dues for the first seven years. I mean, this was never about uh, making money, which is why we were able to keep the vendor influences uh, out. Um, but uh, it did reach a point uh, where I was spending 30 grand a year out of pocket uh, for administrative support and uh, a, a membership management platform that we had purchased and, and other things. And, uh, and I finally said, hey, you guys are chipping in. So uh, we, we set up, uh, you know, dues were, I think, $399 a year if you wanted to pay them. Nobody got kicked out for non-payment. So they weren't mandatory, but uh, we were able to bring in enough to kind of get the organization to break even, which is what I needed. Um, yeah, it kept growing. It's, uh, I mean, arguably one of the largest networks of influential people in Colorado today, uh, heads of private equity and venture capital, political leaders, senior officers of major companies, uh, former, uh, bachelors from the show, the bachelor, uh, astronauts, uh, <laughs> I, I spent, you know, I, time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it really is a hodgepodge of uh, really interesting people. And, and in 20 years of running the organization, we literally have had no content in 20 years. Um, you know, I, I jokingly tell people when they join that we commit firmly to teach you nothing because um, that's not our mandate. Uh, you know, we exist to help influential people grow their network of other influential people in very informal uh, settings. Uh, we were doing, uh, up until COVID, we were doing, you know, two events a month, uh, 20 people maximum. Um, the members took turns hosting at their offices, and you'd spend the whole hour and a half lunch just getting to know everybody around the table and finding ways to help each other. That was the only uh, outcome we were looking for from these events. Wow, that is unbelievable. Um, I'm, I'm, I just keep being, I mean, I knew some of the stats, but I just didn't know the magnitude of that. And while I'm really curious now, Jay, with everything being virtual, obviously, how is networking happening now with this particular group? And what advice you can give? Because so many people are reaching out specifically for, let's say, through the LinkedIn, right? Wanted to connect or wanted to share what they have to offer. People are immediately kind of jumping into that sale mindset versus service versus value. And you are being consistently promoting and creating so much value over the years. And I first of all wanted to say thank you on my behalf and on behalf of Coloradans who had a tremendous benefit from it. But 
with that mindset, do you mind just through that lens, share something that others can really learn and, 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 and understand how networking truly actually work? Yeah, and quite honestly, I take a very different approach to networking than 99% of the people out there. Um, a handful of times I've been asked to speak about networking or train people on networking inside corporate environments. And, and I, I did it for free. I mean, it's just a, you know, something I'm a topic I'm passionate about, but uh, the first thing I asked them is when you hear the word, when you hear the words, you should be networking more, what does that activity look like to you? And almost universally, you know, everyone in the room cringes and says, uh, it means going, you know, going to an event where there's 200 people I don't know and walking up to strangers and introducing myself and hoping good things happen, you know, and, and they all hate that, uh, you know, it's like, I don't want to do more networking. That's uncomfortable to me. And so ironically, I tell them, I'm going to help you network better. And the first thing I want you to do is stop going to those events. And they kind of scratch it first, you know, you get a heavy sigh, you know, oh, good, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. But they also scratch their head, you know, well, how, how am I going to network? And the approach I took when everything changed for me, as far as value of networking is when I sat down and said, what am I trying to accomplish professionally or personally? And who are the individuals uniquely suited to help me on that journey? And, and then I made a list of those people. And then I said, okay, these are the people I need to develop relationships with. If I go to some networking event, you know, uh, great. I hope one of them shows up and I hope I stumble into them. That's not a good strategy. So I would get a list of at least 10 and I would call them all up and invite them to lunch to meet each other. And uh, because they all had the problem of, I don't know who I need to meet in town and, uh, and I don't know how to meet those people, I was immediately solving the problem for them. Um, so, you know, an example I give is I created this group of the CFOs of the billion dollar companies in town and it was super easy. I, I called them up and said, hey, the other CFOs of the billion dollar companies in town wanna grab lunch uh, just to get to know each other a little bit better. And they were hoping to include you. Is there any way you can break away and join them? And, uh, and, and they felt, wow, the, the other CFOs want to include me and they want to just spend time getting to know each other. And 99% and, uh, of the CFOs said yes to that message and showed up. Um, so when you make a list of the people you really need to develop a relationship with, odds are they have similar characteristics. They're influential in some way. Uh, you know, they're doing interesting and amazing things. And, and odds are those 10 people would like to meet each other because they all have the, those attributes and odds are they've probably never met each other. And so suddenly you're becoming an introduction facilitator, a networking facilitator to help them meet interesting people without the encumbrances of vendors and speakers and those other things. And they're really drawn to it. Um, it was how I I built very fast a network of some of the most influential people in the state by not going to other people's networking events, uh, by really going a different direction. Brilliant. I love it. And I have to say, um, 
as somebody who consumed fair amount of those networking events, I stopped going years ago as well. And I realized this is definitely, you know, in so many ways, it's just by me being seen there, you know, and seeing some people that I know or, 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 or new ones that I meet as, but not being strategic about it, it's definitely not the best use of my time. And also not of the service to the others, because most of the time, do I truly, can I really help others? So I'm assuming that is how you also created the subgroup of the CFO 100 by bringing top CFOs in Colorado together and then helping them out to pivot and learn from each other as well, just to get to know each other. Yeah, a fair number of the CFOs um, participate in CXO also, but for different reasons. You know, they, they go to CXO event to meet kind of a broader network of just interesting and influential people. But they wanted the CFO group to really uh, have access to their high-level peers um, in a way that they weren't getting with the other CFO groups in town. Um, typically, what you find in these uh, HR or CFO or CMO groups is it's uh, mostly uh, lower-level uh, leaders um, and a lot of unemployed people. And, and there's, there's still value to be created for those individuals participating. But, uh, but it gets really hard to garner the interest and engagement of the senior most people um, in an environment like that. They don't get as much value. So, uh, so we really set the rules. We said, hey, this group is for the CFOs, the, the highest level finance executive only of the 100 largest public and private companies in the state. That's the, you know, those are the only people that qualify. And if you become unemployed, you can hang out with us for three months and then you got to go to this group that's just going to help you uh, land your next job and then you can come back. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it, was, it was pretty strict rules, but, uh, but what happened is I got engagement by almost every CFO of every major company because they knew what to expect when they showed up. Uh, it was clear, you know, who was going to be participating. Brilliant. Again, finding phenomenal solutions and even people in transition finding other avenues and ways because it's just, again, another CFO will not be able to find you the job. You need to go in other avenues to look out for that. So absolutely makes sense. And if you don't mind, uh, you also created the um, HR 100, which uh, I'm also really interested to learn a little bit more about it. Uh, I'm assuming from the very similar um, point of view as the CFO group. Yeah, I, I started that one first. Um, we already had about 40 chief HR officers in CXO. And, uh, and there was an interest in kind of having a subgroup uh, among them where they could get together once in a while and just take turns hosting and, and keep it pretty informal, but, but have the conversation focused on HR related things that they were working on to get peer, peer feedback on. Um, at first, I didn't think that was a good idea. I mean, we had a strong SHRM chapter in town and SHRM is kind of the dominant HR or you know, networking uh, organization. Yes. And I, I really debated whether there was value in trying to compete with that. And so I uh, actually met with some of the, the chief HR officers and, and asked them that question. And, and they said, you know, I don't go to those SHRM events because it's mostly lower level HR people and a lot of vendors. <laughs> and yes, and, and so and very predictable and very yeah. stuffy. <laughs> and so I said, okay, well, if we kept this to only the senior most HR executives of the largest employers in the state, 
uh, would that be valuable? And they said, immediately said, yes. I mean, that's, that's what we ultimately want. Um, the first year we started it, uh, the chief HR officers of 80 of the 100 largest companies joined. And by the next year, we had all 100. And today, I think we're around 200. Um, you know, uh, 100 largest public companies, 100 largest private companies. Uh, we have almost all of them. So uh, it really has become the dominant uh, chief HR executive organization in the state. That is fantastic, specifically right now, obviously, because it's so much need with economic shift, with COVID, with remote work, with different way of finding talent, interacting, but also uh, preserving the longevity of the company, right? So uh, laws are changing, but in the same time, um, it is so important to really see what is working and not everybody as yourself and your company is so technically savvy, you posting, you blogging, you are interacting, you're doing videos. And I also think that of coming from executive of your caliber, it's just so beautiful that you have also great digital footprint. And I feel like that a lot of organizations due to regulations feel like they cannot do many things. And on contrary, I, I see that as a result of your influence, uh, a lot of them are actually shifting their mindset and, and, and contributing in, in such a much more meaningful way. So I just want you to know that um, if you're not aware of. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. But Jay, I mean, my goodness, I was like, we're just scratching the surface here. Um, but one thing that I am absolutely, as a humanitarian, as a huge human rights advocate, so thrilled actually to have a conversation with you about your influence board, because I'm assuming this became something after you established these other three entities. And just seeing again how this need and conversation brought phenomenal solution. So guys, buckle up. You cannot miss what he's going to share right now about Influence Board. You're, you're right. Uh, it, it was an interesting natural outcome of managing all these networks of some of the most powerful and influential executives. Um, and it came, it's actually been a 10-year overnight success, as some people say about, the, about companies. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it started, you know, 10 years ago. Um, it was a CXO lunch where the executives were talking about and kind of complaining about the volume of sales calls and emails that they get on a daily basis. You know, it's not uncommon for them to get 30, 40 uh, emails and phone calls a day from vendors wanting to meet with them to sell them something. And it becomes a huge business distraction. And, uh, and, and it's, it's kind of a, a catch-22 because the executives know intuitively there is some value in there somewhere, but I'm not sure which 1% of the calls today I'm supposed to be paying attention to because I don't have a filter. And um, the original idea they came up with over lunch was okay, what if we could turn this business distraction into an asset of some kind? And what would that look like? And uh, their thought was, what if we built a platform where every time I got an email from a vendor wanting my time that I could not pay attention to logistically, um, instead of ignoring it, I would forward it into this platform. And it would build over time a community of people that wanted my time. And then when I wanted to raise money for a charitable cause, I would auction an hour of my time to that community. 
and uh, and the winning bidder would get an hour of my time, and the funds raised would go to a charity that uh, I designated. So uh, it, it would become this asset I could tap into to increase my philanthropic giving and hopefully be exposed to missed innovation that could add value to my my company as well. Um, one thing we learned, so we, we ended up testing that because uh, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Um, one thing we learned quickly was the auction was a really bad idea. The outcomes we were getting were 100, almost 100% of the meetings that got scheduled, the executive said, thanks for donating to my charity. You have an hour of my time. By the way, I don't need what you're selling. And I could have told you that in advance. Wow. They just happened to have the most money to win the auction, you know? And so it was clear the auction was not a good filter for meeting relevancy. Um, so we, we really ended up having to go a completely different direction when it comes to that. But, I love uh, like how you do the trial and error and, tr and, and then quickly uh, fix it. And, and, and something that you're creating now, which is again with pandemic, with virtual world, extremely beneficial. So I, I was checking your platform and I was blown away the roster of some of the most prestigious, more influential, but also the, the most amazing minds, brilliant minds in, in different sectors available to access and schedule meeting with knowing exactly what is the price tag and that price tag is going to the charities and back where it's truly needed the most because as we know, the demand and need uh, right now from nonprofits and organizations is all time high. So do yeah, you mind sharing is... how that shift happened? Because I'm just like, yeah. I'm just blown away how amazing that is and how others can repeat that in their cities in other parts of the world. And, and how we can actually bring together that all sectors, you know, corporations and nonprofits and government. And since you are navigating that extremely successful, which whoever worked in any of those three knows how challenging that is. Yes, uh, you hit the nail on the head. The, the model had to be a win for the executive, a win for the vendor and a win for the charity. And we really needed to design a model where everybody got what they wanted out of it and it was high value for everybody. And uh, we landed on a model where the executives uh, are, they set a fixed price for an hour of their time. They might say, hey, an hour of my time is 300 bucks. Here are the charities that that money would support that I'm passionate about. But then they clearly articulate in their profile, I'm interested in meetings on these topics and I'm not interested in meetings on these other topics so that um, it can do what the executives want, which is bring to light innovation and ideas around key areas of interest uh, that the executive has at any given time. Um, so uh, because they needed that filter for relevancy for all these sales calls they're getting. It's great for the vendors because they can pre-qualify themselves right out of the gate and not waste time scheduling a meeting and paying you know, to a charity for a meeting that uh, isn't gonna be um, well received and, uh, and, and hopefully move to the next step. Um, we also made it free for the vendor to join, free for the vendor to submit meeting requests, and they really only pay if a meeting's accepted. And, uh, and even when they pay when the meeting's accepted, we hold on to that money until the meeting's been successfully completed 
so that if there's any problem, the meeting doesn't happen or anything, 100% refund back to the vendor. So extremely efficient use of business development dollars, only spending it when they're getting the outcome they want. Um, and for the charities, it's a whole new bucket of money to draw from. It's Absolutely. converting vendor marketing dollars into charitable assets. And, uh, and they need right, that right now. Um, they, they need new ideas and new sources of income. So it's been very well received by them as well. That is brilliant. Again, I'm, I'm just blown away. And, and again, guys, please, stay, we'll have a link on the end and after the show and after the podcast. But I just wanted to make sure that uh, everybody that is listening and watching, it's taking note of that because a reason why I'm bringing this up, Jay, and how relevant and timely this is, so many people are trying to figure out innovative solutions. And we have here blueprint for something that is already working tremendously well. You don't necessarily have to scratch your head and do too much of trial and error and, and you can just follow and solve um, and, and create amazing impact that you were already doing. Uh, so with that in mind, just a quick a note, uh, I'm assuming that a lot of now events are done virtually uh, from CXO to all of these different groups that you mentioned earlier, Jay. Yeah, each group has been a little, diff a little different in their approach to uh, taking risks. So the <laughs> HR, the HR group is like, Hey, we are not going to meet in person until maybe next year. And, and I get it, you know, it's the optics of the HR leader, you know, going to a meeting with other HR leaders when, uh, when they're not allowing their employees to come to work. Um, but the, some of the other groups, uh, my CXO group uh, and my CFO group, um, very different. I mean, we, we, we did some virtual events and then we started to do hybrid events where we said, if you want to come in person, you can, but we're going to limit attendance and socially distance. And if you want to come, if you want to participate virtually, you can as well. And we had technology there so that the virtual attendees were up on the screen and could interact and, and, and just as though they were there. What we discovered was three quarters of the people who registered wanted to be there in person. And that actually surprised me a little bit, um, but, uh, but it also didn't surprise me. <laughs> I mean, when they, they were so excited to just be there in person exactly. and, uh, and see each other again. And, and we even had some events, we had some CFO events where it was just in person, you know, and that's what they decided they wanted. So uh, we had to keep the numbers down. Um, for example, we had the CFO of a major restaurant chain wanted to host in one of his restaurants and, uh, and they have all these security protocols in place at the restaurant. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's so I, I'm a big proponent of hybrid events for a while, you know, come if you want, but we're going to kind of control things and attend virtually if you want as well. So you can attend either way. I think that is brilliant solution because again, some people have a, a high risks or, or different situation in their homes that they have to be very cognizant about it. But then again, it allows everybody to decide what's the best for themselves. But I have to say, when we look at statistically that over 50% of uh, employees in general workforce is feeling uh, isolated and not sense of belonging. I can just imagine how lonely and challenging can be up at the top with the C-suite because um, 
people are usually, you know, having anywhere in smaller quorums uh, conversations, but that, that importance to have the dialogue and interaction, I feel it's across the board very much so needed this time. So I'm glad to hear that. And for anybody that is specifically listening from Colorado that they think can fit with this category, I'm assuming you taking on applications for the new members and opportunities to participate, that's correct? Yeah, I mean, really anyone who's a, a C-level executive of a company over 100 million in annual revenue or, or some other person of influence, uh, you know, that CXO would be a great group for them. Um, the HR group and the CFO group, you know, it's, you know, really 100 largest public companies, 100 largest private companies, um, you know, and their uh, senior finance executive or their uh, head of uh, HR would uh, fit in those organizations as well. And, uh, and we don't have everybody, you know, there's turnover, you know, it's, it's uh, always a moving target. Um, so uh, always looking to have new people participate. That's fantastic. So now with, <laughs> with the shift to did a little bit of the gears here, um, I'm very, very curious. Uh, do you have a military background or how did you get in acquiring military vehicles? Because I saw the photo and image that is like this monster five ton huge truck with the Rudolph red nose reindeer nose and it just made me laugh. So please tell me, uh, how did you start having that hoping? What do you do with these vehicles in your free time? I've, I've, I've never been in the military, but man, do they have fun toys. And, uh, and I kind of fell into it by accident. I, I buy a lot of stuff on uh, online auctions. And uh, at the time I was buying some things from uh, military auctions. They, they actually had, they, they were retiring gym equipment, you know, for in these nice military gyms. And, uh, you know, I, I got a $6,000 uh, treadmill for 50 bucks and uh and had to put 75 dollars into fixing it um and uh you know so i got some great gym equipment and i needed a trailer for my truck and i thought well i'll, I'll pick up one of these military trailers um they're so well built you know just steel and and uh and so i saw some on auction and uh and i thought well man these are going really cheap and i i bid on two hoping i would get one of them and I won both of them for 170 bucks a piece. And I thought, wow. how did they go so cheap? You know, these things are just amazing. And, uh, and then I went to pick them up and I realized my mistake. The picture, the picture of the trailer that you see on the internet looked like a normal size trailer, but I hooked this up to my pickup truck and it was, it was a trailer to, a, to one of these five ton military trucks. And the I, I was barely able to tow the trailer alone with nothing in it because it was so huge and heavy. And so it, it was really useless to me as a trailer. Um, but I, I was able to get them home. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so that got me thinking, well, now I need a truck that can actually pull this trailer. And so I started looking at the five ton trucks and uh, uh, and, and I probably looked for a couple of years before I found the first one. And, um, uh, and you, you, I, I got it for cheap, I mean, uh, but it, uh, it was in Fort Riley, Kansas, and, and I had to you know, have a guy drive it out to Colorado for me. Um, but uh, it's a blast. Um, people ask me, like you said, what do you do with it? And I'm like, 
<laughs> I, I, you know, recently I used it to uproot a huge tree on my property that had died. You know, I just wrapped a, uh, uh, a chain around the tree, hooked it to the truck and backed up slowly. And it pulled this huge tree out by the roots. Yeah. And uh, then I was able to cut it up with a chainsaw. Uh, but we load the kids in it and just go to Dairy Queen. We uh, we dress up the truck for Halloween and Christmas and drive it around. We have hay bales in the back of it right now, getting ready for Christmas uh, as well. Um, so it's it's just fun. I mean, uh, I just just I, there's there's really nothing super productive I use it for. It's just a toy. But that's, that's very unusual. And thank you for sharing the story. I think it's uh, super awesome to also show the hobbies and interests and um, because we all have uh, other sides to us beside our title and position uh, and what we're doing specifically on LinkedIn. And one thing that really, I just caught my eyes, I seen your recent photo image with one of your exotic reptiles. And I was blown away again, being a scared for most of the reptiles. I'm like, you have a collection. I heard. So I was like, oh my goodness, I'm just curious again, how did you get into that? And, um, and what type of the most exotic reptiles do you have? Yeah, I, I had bad allergies growing up. And so I never had dogs and cats. I always, you know, had snakes and lizards and frogs. And I finally got to an age where uh, I could get the more interesting ones, the ones that you couldn't find at a pet store. And uh, so <laughs> yeah, that you, you have to get them through breeders and, and other things. And uh, I ended up, I started with a collection of uh, different types of pythons that I was crossbreeding to create uh, unique colors and patterns in the offspring that don't exist in the wild. And there's a whole community of reptile breeders that, uh, that do this, create these hybrid reptiles that, uh, that look you know, a certain way that uh, they would never look in the wild because of you know, selective breeding. Um, so I got into that for a while. Um, I've since gotten rid of most of my uh, snakes. I still have a couple, but uh, I'm now getting into lizards, uh, large lizards. I have a uh, four foot uh, black and white uh, Argentine tegu, which is the one you saw in the picture. Um, puppy dog tame. I have a leash for it. I, you know, it goes on walks. Um, oh my goodness, seriously? Oh my Yeah, goodness. it'll it'll run loose in my office sometimes and occasionally, you know, crawl up into my lap seeking affection and uh, just, you know, a scaly dog. Um, I have uh, a, another uh, mangrove monitor, a monitor lizard that uh, also gets three, four feet long. Um, we're starting to get into different types of chameleons. Uh, we just got our first panther chameleon and I'm super excited about it. Uh, uh, considering maybe getting into breeding some uh, chameleons as well. Um, but we'll also have tortoises. Uh, I've got a, a sulcata tortoise, also known as an African spurred uh, tortoise that will get 100, 200 pounds. He's about 50 pounds right now. And so I've got about an eighth of an acre, you know, committed to a tortoise habitat to, to him on the property. Uh, we've got a red-footed tortoise as well. Um, so, uh, they're fascinating as well, uh, just personality wise, like tiny dinosaurs. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, I've always been intrigued by that. And Colorado is good home for them because I know that they can uh, they can get really over hundred plus years old, right? They, their age is, is could be even in some cases even yes thousands years old. They so. they they'll, they will outlive me, and uh, you know they they'll end up in my will. <laughs> so hopefully <laughs> my kids uh, know what to do when that time comes. <laughs> Wow, that that is fascinating again. So since like, I love how you are exploiting, ex exploring different interests and passions, but also how you leverage not only technology and influence um, and things that you're doing, obviously professionally, but also what you're doing personally. So what is left in a bucket list of Jay Allen? Because right now I feel like you accomplished already so much, <laughs> Jay. What is left to do? <laughs> Well, you know, the, the, the other thing that happened three years ago is uh, my home office got taken over by the reptiles. It's now the reptile room and I needed a new space. And so I uh, bought a 30 foot school bus and drove it home from an auction. And my son and I spent a winter uh, tearing out the whole inside and rebuilding it into my a mobile home office that I, I'm sitting in right now. Uh, so it is my full-time office is this 30 foot school bus that uh, has nice wood floors and paneling and electrical outlets and heating and air conditioning. And it's uh, parked about 30 feet or uh, 75 feet from the house. So I get good separation from the kids. It's got its own, its own phone number, its own Wi-Fi, And it's really been a great uh, office for me. That is fantastic. I would love to see, hopefully one day you can show us a little video or something, but but that is fantastic because we need a, specifically when it's pandemic, when it's everybody in the home, right? In the house, when you need that little break and separation, but that must be super cool, very creative environment to work from. It's, it's worked out well. There's a little gym in the back and the office in the front and- uh, Oh my goodness, you thought about <laughs> everything. That is brilliant. <laughs> Wow. So uh, as we we're getting close to uh, our full power hour, uh, do you mind Jay sharing? Obviously, your legacy is already uh, so extremely well developed and, and, and based on things you do to truly help and support others. Um, do you mind sharing is that uh, what would you like to be remembered by and what some cool projects or things that you can share are coming in, in, in years to come. Um, I'm just curious where, where are you dedicating your energy and efforts and what else would you like to accomplish in your lifetime? You know, I, I've always wanted to do well by doing good uh, in some way. Um, running, I mean, building 10 different networking organizations over the last 20 years, I'm running four I've, that's never been a moneymaker for me. Um, that I do that because I love it and I love the people. And, uh, and, and that's one thing about networking is you have to treat people the same, whether they're valuable to you kind of in quotes or not. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, whether they were employed, whether they were unemployed, whether they were in a position to help me, you know, or, or not, um, you know, you just treat them all the same, you know, they're all people. And, uh, and I've, I've garnered tremendous relationships through that. Uh, um, and then the influence board, you know, was another play on that. It's unique to have a for-profit company that only has one output, and that is 
funding nonprofits. Um, so it's, it's a really unique business model that we created that uh, builds value for shareholders, uh, but, uh, but really does good in the world as its uh, primary reason for existing. Um, uh, you know, right now I'm not trying to take on any new projects, uh, but what I'm seeing is the influence board is growing really, really fast. Uh, we've had a doubling every month in the number of meeting requests that are going into the platform. Uh, our executives, I mean, the executives were up to a thousand executives on the platform. We just started in January. Um, we, we could exceed 5,000 before the end of the year. Um, so it's growing fast from that perspective. Uh, the, the salespeople and vendors joining the platform are scaling at about the same pace. Um, so uh, I'm looking at spending more and more of my time running the influence board as things progress. And, uh, and I'll be looking for ways to, uh, to bring in help and support to backfill for me on the other projects that, uh, that I have going on. Um, but uh, I'm excited about the potential that influence board has uh, going forward. Absolutely, and 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 I I, I, can, I can see reason why it is rapidly growing and expanding because not only the virtualization but the ways of identifying pain points and trying to connect with the right people not only saves the time and increased efficiency but uh, some some organizations in dire need and they need the resources or solution right now so that that definitely expedites that whole process so. Again, kudos for creating that. That is phenomenal. And in the closing, Jay, do, what would you like to leave with our viewers and listeners? Uh, because you share so many golden nuggets and great blueprints of how to create organization that creates so much impact. Um, but anything else yeah. from all those years of experience that you would like to let them know? You know, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Um... When it comes to networking, there's something that uh, you can do that's really easy that nobody does. And, and it's, it's what I say, if, if you never met another new person, uh, how could you be a better networker with all the people you already know? And uh, years ago, I started a monthly networking lunch uh, where I could just invite um, a subset of all the people I have known over the years to meet together and introduce them to each other. And so it wasn't awkward for me. I'm just inviting people I already know to the lunch, but it's a diverse group of people that I know that have never met each other. And we spend the whole lunch catching up and introducing them to each other and finding ways for us to help each other. And it's a great way to just start networking in a way that doesn't involve reaching out to any strangers. And, uh, and if you can become really good at that, then it translates well into now growing your network of new people as well. And so I, I encourage people to start a monthly lunch where you invite, you know, 10 people that you've known over the years from church, from school, from previous jobs, people that sold you stuff, you know, whatever that is, and start to create community uh, among them and, and help them uh, meet each other as, as kind of the, the hub of, uh, of that networking activity. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Jay, again for your time and opportunity to share with us and listeners and viewers, please take your notes because you have a lot of great golden nuggets here.
Thank Thanks, you. Isabella. Thanks, Isabella.